0: But first of all, the aura of Laura, and you had the PM at the Press Club uh, last week talking about national security, and that's uh, still the focus. But there's a segue to cyber security, Laura.
1: There is, Philip. Um, Cyber security is also... We sort of set the scene for a big cybersecurity splash today, uh, with you know a, a cybersecurity roundtable. Roundtables are very uh, in in Canberra at the moment, uh, so he met with a lot of cybersecurity experts. Um, but um, he, what what the government is doing? Um, Malcolm Turnbull set up a cybersecurity safety centre uh, when he was prime minister, which essentially was, you know primarily a, um, it had a cybersecurity advisor who was Alastair McKibben uh, and it, it's a place that for most people you can go and get information about what to do if you've run into cybersecurity problems. But as we saw with Optus last year and um, Medibank Private, uh, there are, um, you know, the whole thing is escalating into the area of personal uh, information being stolen and the like. and today what they've announced is two things one of them is uh, a sort of a, a coordinator of cybersecurity issues because it's such a sort of complex and an amorphous issue that covers so many areas of regulation and different areas of government and has to do with the public uh, with the um the private sector and the public sector somebody who can sort of look at all of those areas uh, in in toto and it's interesting Philip that I think one of the crucial changes from the Turnbull era move into this new one is that the old Office um, of Cyber Security Safety was within the uh, Signals Directorate, within the sort of, you know, within spook land, shall we say. Um, <laughs> and this one is outside that, so it's going to have a different view, I think, of the world and have a greater capacity to deal with the private sector. But they've also signalled a lot of, you know, upgrades in the potential for, um, for, you know, so, cyber security authorities to intervene uh, when there's been a problem in a private sector company um, that's got a major uh, sort of hack going on. Um, It'll be interesting to see how all of that plays
0: out. John Howard, my old mate, has been getting the media to focus on certain superannuation changes and how the people with millions in their funds will be devastated. But the the Senate was looking at proposed changes to laws around whistleblowers. Can you untangle that for us, Laura? Oh, it's
1: it's very tangly, uh, Philip. Um, th- of course, uh, this is just sort of one issue in the whole sort of area of things like transparency and uh, corruption. The government obviously introduced uh, its National Anti-Corruption Commission legislation last year and got that through the parliament, but whistleblowers was left off to one side. And uh, it's taking a bit of a, a bit of a sort of Step by step approach would be the polite way of putting it, I think. Um, so, there's a piece of legislation now before the Parliament dealing with uh, public sector whistleblowers. And uh, the Senate, uh, I think, much to the irritation of the Attorney General, has um, had this inquiry that will be going through until next month looking at how that bill works. And, you know, I'm not a lawyer, Philip. Um, I know you're. A, you know, you're actually a QC and, and bar and all sorts of things. But uh, it's 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 an interesting dilemma here because one of the big uh, criticisms um, that's come up of this particular uh, chapter of whistleblowing legislation is is the one that relates to personal employment grievances. Now, if you're a, a whistleblower, you tend to end up not being a happy camper employee, or you may already not be a happy camper employee before you become a whistleblower, because usually by definition you're disagreeing with something that is happening in your workplace. Now, the problem that um, some of the uh, various transparency advocates um, like AJ Brown from Transparency International and Griffith University uh, point out is, and which... Um, senators uh, in both Greens and the Liberal Party also think is a problem, is that the way the uh, proposed legislation works, if you've got a, what is regarded as a a purely personal employment grievance, um, basically you're not covered by the whistleblower protection measures. Now, um, how you define what is purely personal employment grievance and what is one that's related to the whistleblowing thing um, is, is a little bit unclear. It's also not clear that the legislation extends into parliamentary staff. So obviously, once again, if there are problems that turn up in a, you know, dear one, say, a minister's office, who who would have thought that would ever happen, that creates a bit of a problem in its own right.
0: Now, this is all a bit subjudicial, so I'll have to tread carefully, but the proposed changes expand the scope of protections for people who claim they made a disclosure in the public interest, like Richard Boyle. Are those protections adequate?
1: Uh, look I think that's still to be tested uh, Philip um, it's it's you know it's it, it's very um, tricky legal stuff <laughs> and um, particularly if, if people are being mentioned I don't know that it's sort of um, I don't feel comfortable about really talking about whether it's enough but certainly there there are sort of considerable reservations about whether um, this legislation goes far enough partly because it's not a comprehensive piece of legislation dealing with all whistleblowers. This is just to do with people in the public sector. Uh, and while that covers a lot of the whistleblowers we know about, uh, you know, th- how how it would act in toto is still a little bit
0: unclear. If whistleblowers have made a claim for immunity under that uh, Public Interest to Closure Act, I wonder whether the proposed changes apply to their cases retrospectively. Interesting question, Philip.
1: Interesting question. Um, I think uh, I suspect probably not. Uh, but um, you know, we've heard in uh, out of Senate estimates a couple of weeks ago that the prosecution of some of the really high-profile um, pu- public sector whistleblowers is amassed a bill of something like seven million dollars. You know, it's it's just staggering amounts of money to uh, spend on uh, cases in which. I think there have been concessions made that um, the effect of the whistleblowing was actually to
0: the public interest. Well, I think we should be encouraging it rather than putting obstacles before it. I mean, for example, could these changes help junior public servants like the Centrelink woman who gave evidence recently to the Royal Commission about rowboat debt? You'd like people to feel more confident coming forward.
1: You, you, you'd hope so, Philip. I mean, I, I was uh, I was thinking about this earlier, um, partly because your illustrious producer Catherine asked me about it. Um, I think uh, in in the case of the um, the public servant at the middle of the robo debt inquiry, this is an interesting case. She she raised the problems that she could see with uh, with the system, uh, and was basically rebuffed. Uh, but uh, she, uh, she she didn't do it publicly, she did it within the system. Um, and the question is, to what extent was she punished for it? Uh, she certainly wasn't protected um, and she certainly never got an apology subsequently. But I suspect that at the very least, what proper legislation about the protection of whistleblowers should do is change the culture uh, in the public service and in other places as well, where you don't immediately just get um, ostracised and, um, and criticised and, um, and, and sort of possibly have your career ruined because you've actually tried to do the right thing.
0: Any implications in the proposals that might affect uh, Julian Assange?
1: Uh, I don't think so because he's not a public in in these ones because he's not a public servant. Um, so
0: uh, well, that's I, a, that's debatable.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> he's not a he's not he he was not and he's not a um, a, a publicly no. funded federal public servant, Philip. No, so, you know, I, you, you could, I, I know the point you're making.
0: Independent member for Indy, uh, Indi, uh, Helen Haynes is calling for the government to legislate an independent whistleblower protection commission. Any comment on that?
1: Uh, well, once again, this is um, there's a whole range of people, including uh, Helen Haynes, who are sort of saying, you know, we need a proper overall overarching framework for protecting whistleblowers. Um, you know, keep keeping sort of a, a view of the, you know, whistleblowers across all sectors of the uh, of the economy and the community. And um, once again, the government has still got to do all of this stuff, That's in, it's on this very long list of things they've got to do with transparency. All they've done at this stage is deal with the particular circumstances of federal public
0: servants. Another round table was held by the government today, this time on Press Freedom as a response to the Your Right to Know campaign. You were there, Laura. Did the government make any concrete statements? <laughs>
1: Uh, look, I think it was a, an interesting. Uh, it was an interesting gathering. Uh, Philip, you've got uh, the head of the ABC, the head of News Corp, um, uh, Lenore Taylor from the Guardian, you know, uh, James Tessel from Nine, um, you know, lots of very very high power people, and me, <laughs> um, as as, as uh, uh, with my press club hat on. Um, I suppose what came out of it that was really interesting is that there are so many arms of this discussion to be had, privacy legislation, um, uh, secrets, uh, secrecy acts, uh, FOI uh, problems, um, and some really basic things, uh, because a lot of the focus was on those raids in 2019 uh, on the ABC and on Annika Smethurst, the journalist in in Canberra. Um, And um, it was being pointed out to the government that basically nothing has changed in terms of the legislative framework under which those raids took place. So there's a real plethora of issues that are, of, are coming up. One of them is uh, the issue of contested warrants. That is the capacity of uh, media organisations to contest um, the validity of a warrant to uh, to raid, to search um, their premises for material. And one of the things that... Uh, what happens at the moment is it's up to a judge to uh, look at a contested warrant, but uh, the only test they can apply is whether there's good reason to believe that the material in question is on the premises. There isn't a public interest test in that uh, test that they have to make a ruling on. So this, there's a whole range of issues. There's there's a question. Um, Peter Grester and uh, and and his organisation are saying we need a legislative framework for uh, for press freedom in Australia which basically sort of gives a test a bit like human rights tests um, against which other legislation is judged. I think the general message from uh, the government out of the meeting was, look, we've got a whole heap of stuff coming down the track, uh, consultation papers um, on things like the privacy legislation um, and, uh, uh, and a range of other things. Uh, but. It, it You know, it's not clear exactly how much it has actually materially sort of going to happen in the short term. I don't know whether everybody was completely satisfied with the outcome of it, but at least we're having the discussion again.
0: I've been talking to the wondrous Laura Tingle, Chief Political Correspondent 7.30, and, of course, Laura will be back with us next week.
1: ABCRN helps you understand the world...